0: Hey, welcome back. By now, many of you have been in a relationship where love and attraction wasn't enough. And speaking from personal experience, that's something that I am just now adjusting to. So it kind of raises the question to me of why love fails, if love is arguably one of the strongest components of the human experience, one of the strongest emotions, how come it's not enough to save a relationship? Sometimes. To begin with, we need to explore, I think, the roots of why relationships break apart in the first place. And more often than not, it's entering a period of conflict that simply can't be resolved, um, whether through lack of effort or lack of desire to put in effort, or simple unworkability. There's that rough patch that happens in relationships right after the first few months or the first couple of years of new relationship energy. That tends to be where the ship of relationships gets dashed against the rocks. Now, I'm going to argue for the sake of this podcast that that conflict is a symptom of something Deeper and more fundamental um, in the way that we're designed, in the way that we operate in reality. So, if we look, conflict is generally really simple. Um, It comes as a result of people seeing reality differently. And sustained conflict is the end result of people not being able to resolve that difference in perceived reality. I might think that it's romantic to cook my date a home meal, but she might not. Her I- idea of romance might be completely different. Maybe what she wants is a uh, expensive purse, a grand gesture of love. And so over here we have the beginnings of a conflict. My perception of reality doesn't line up with someone else's idea of the same sort of reality. And as a result of that, the fight begins. Now, if we can simply navigate to a place where we can synchronize, where we can understand one another's definitions and then find the the middle ground between a grand gesture and quality time or an act of service, which is those two the ideas that are at odds with each other right now, those things being the way that we express and receive love. Then all of a sudden, that conflict can go away. But at its core, the reason why love doesn't really work sometimes, the reason why relationships break apart is because we are unable or unwilling to get to the same reality. Now, I also want to emphasize this is part of our design as human beings. Um, Reality in of itself is an interpreted interpreted experience, Um, my senses make an interpretation of my environment, whether that's touch, smell, taste, or sight. It's not exactly what's happening in reality. And if science is to be believed, then (laughs) reality is a collection of small particles with an infinite amount of space in between. And when those particles interact in a very specific kind of way, we have the perception of a solid object. But that's an interpretation of reality, which is then further interpreted as it travels through our nerves, which will lose some of the information. And then it's interpreted one more time by our brains, which filters that information through the experience of our past, our memories, uh, our past traumas, we then assign meaning to certain things, whether they're good or bad. Depends on what you learned growing up. So I have the perspective that honeybees are awesome, and I love them, and I want to protect them and make sure they don't go extinct. But someone who is deathly allergic to bees and was stung a few times as a child might have a dramatically different impression about this same stimulus. And with nearly 8 billion people on the planet, we have nearly 8 billion different unique interpretations of our reality. So, naturally, when we get into union, when we're in close proximity with one another, this lends itself to this dissonance of realities. Odds are, I won't see things eye-to-eye with you. And you probably won't see eye-to-eye with me on all things. And sometimes we get lucky. We find someone who's at like a 70, 80, 90% match. They see the same way that we see. But the struggle then in relationships is navigating the gaps between our realities, whether it's 30% or 80%. And the larger the gap, the better your communication skills have to be. I think the tricky part about all of this is that when someone has a different view from us... Our brains will naturally take that on as something that is dangerous. Now, whether this is as a result of evolutionary biology or schooling, um, well, we don't really know, right? Um, We have been trained ever since we were little to believe that having the wrong answer is a bad thing. So it might be activating because of that. It might be activating because if we were in existence in tribes, um, millennia ago. And my view of reality happened to include a wolf and yours did not. Um, well, that's something that we need to hash out like right now, right? (laughs) And it's, it's really valuable for us to get on the same page. So there's a level of urgency there. If there is indeed a wolf in the proximity, and I can't convince you, then your life is in danger and so is mine by a proxy because I need safety in numbers in order to survive. Now, normally this wouldn't be much of an issue, right? Like, talking with someone rationally is generally easy enough, but when emotions get thrown into the mix, uh, when I am triggered or activated, uh, that conversation becomes much, much harder. It's easy to take things personally. It's easy to get angry or frustrated. It's easy to, in general, not be able to hash out the thing that would have been so, so, so simple if neither of us were triggered. So the roots of a successful relationship kind of hinge on a number of different things. And without these things, then love simply isn't enough. Fundamentally, the first component here is vulnerability and authenticity. Can I speak as close to the truth about my beliefs as I can? And if my relationship lacks safety, then I'm not going to do those things. If I don't feel safe to share those things without it turning into a fight, then naturally the relationship will come to an end. Uh, That's one of the most common ways for a relationship to come to an end. Either partner or both partners are unable or unwilling to share their perspective about reality without it turning into a huge damaging ordeal that both people have to recover from. The second piece is the ability to listen and understand Am I able and willing to put in the time and the effort to really get where my partner is coming from without making them wrong for having a different opinion than me? And in some ways, um, this is, for me, I think, the most difficult part. The ability to hold two opposing ideas without having it cause internal tension. Can I believe, (laughs) can I believe that... This person's lack of communication with me is actually out of love, a gesture of caring and concern, or do I believe my own internal reality of, hey, this is a sign that this person is disengaged and doesn't want to be connected with me? Both may be true, but when we try to fit those two pieces together in our heads, or at least when I try to fit those two pieces together in my head, it's really quite difficult It occurs like only one of them can be true and naturally I'm going to try to reject the idea that isn't mine. I think that there's this inherent rule in the brain that it is functionally very lazy. Um, (laughs) I think that adjusting the way that we perceive the world is a very energy intensive task. It's often uh, inclusive of a period of depression where we have to get a lot of sleep. We don't feel motivated to do things. Survival-wise, changing the way that we operate fundamentally, changing the way that we see the universe fundamentally, is kind of a trade-off. It's resource-intensive, so our brains will resist taking it on. The final and probably the most important piece here that has love not be enough sometimes in relationships is when one or both partners are incapable of regulating themselves. Meaning that even if I get triggered, sometimes I'm able to bring myself back from the brink, right? Before things get really messy and really sloppy and a lot of damage is done, I'm able to pump the brakes on my emotions and engage in a conversation in a way that isn't attacky or very defensive. It's really helpful to have a partner that doesn't, Get super triggered, even if they are triggered a little bit, right? That there is some means for them to come back from the edge and talk like a grown up. And this particular point, I think, makes it especially important. It puts even more emphasis on the idea of doing inner work. If I have unresolved trauma from the past, right? If I've had several bad experiences with past partners where any that we got into conflict, it immediately escalated, right? They were punching through walls and breaking doors. I might not be able to stick around for conflict until I have resolved the past. I've talked with a coach or a therapist. I've done shadow work. I've looked inward and resolved things to an extent that I no longer have an emotional reaction when things go a certain way. But without having done that inner work, it becomes so, so, so hard to make a relationship happen. In essence, this entire process is about getting all the information on the table, beginning to unpack the things that we don't understand, and taking a minute to really understand why our partner has gotten to the point of view that they got to, and the more I can understand about their point of view, then the easier it will be for me to accept it, right? There will be a moment in time when suddenly I get that last critical piece of information and it's like, oh, it's just like blank from my past. And the minute that I can begin to relate to it, my brain will stop trying to attack it. But in a true partnership this isn't a one-sided thing. Both sides must try to understand where the other is coming from. And if you are consistently the only one trying to understand your partner, then this will naturally put you in a position where your partner doesn't care about what you think. You're essentially negating your own value in this situation. So if you are taking on this process, I think it's very important that you also stand and advocate for yourself. Once you've fully understood your partner, it's also part of their role to fully understand you as well. This is about meeting in the middle, not you accommodating for someone else's needs and beliefs exclusively. And this particular piece is the critical difference between a symbiotic relationship and a parasitical relationship. Did I say parasitical? I think I meant parasitic, (laughs) but there's no point in being in a relationship unless your partner is capable of providing some measure of something for you, right? And I think there's a lot of emphasis recently on becoming the kind of person that doesn't need anyone, be fully complete. And then when a relationship is a nice to have, then you embark on the relationship And I think that there's value in striving for that particular point. But like anything else, this is an idea of perfectionism. Meaning that I'm not ready for a relationship unless I'm completely solid being alone in isolation, which is a ridiculous request and by no means a requirement to make a relationship work. But the other question that I ask myself in this situation is why even bother being in a relationship if I can't count on this other person from time to time? Sometimes I'm going to need help. And if my partner is unable or unwilling to provide that for me in my hour of need, it really doesn't make any sense for me to be in a partnership with this person, at least from my point of view. So to recap... In essence, the reason why love fails is because of a fundamental difference in the way that we choose to perceive reality. All reality is an interpretation, and there's no real truth to it, at least not a universal one. The only thing that we can have is our personal truth, based off of what we've personally experienced, what we believe, and how we experience the past. An ideal partnership has all the tools in order to navigate the gap between two people's realities, which can be as unique as a fingerprint and probably will be because no two people have the exact same experience growing up. The thing that makes this process especially difficult is the fact that when two people have different ideas and they communicate about them, Whether it's culturally or evolutionarily, this leads to our bodies getting into fight-or-flight. And when we're in fight-or-flight, it's really hard to have a logical conversation, which makes having tools around this fight-or-flight response especially powerful. One of the best things that you can do to make a conflict-ridden relationship work, and this is naturally something that happens after the honeymoon period of any relationship, is to be able to understand your partner. But it's equally important that you stand and advocate for your own rights within the relationship. You stand for your own voice and have your partner understand you after you've fully understood and gotten to a good point with them. A truly healthy relationship does not revolve around you solely taking care of the emotional needs of another person. Rather, it has to go two ways. And I would argue that if you're sacrificing yourself to continue to remain in connection, to, to continue to remain in relationship with this person, then it's really not a relationship at all. Rather, functionally, you're becoming this person's proxy parent. So ultimately, what's the secret to making love work? Maybe it comes down to a willingness to compassionately and mindfully explore one another's reality. Accepting that on some level there is always going to be a level of disagreement. But trusting in ourselves and trusting that the other person will be willing to step up. That they'd be willing to meet us fully and to be fully met. That I can trust in them to have my best intentions at heart. And they can do the same with me. And that's all the time that we have for today. My name is Rob Wong. This is the Great Day Guy podcast. And if you got something out of this, be sure to give us a like or subscribe or leave a comment or applause or leave us a rating on the platform of your choosing. Any interaction that you have with this podcast goes a long way. It feels really validating to receive. Uh, Seeing those numbers go up is a big deal for me. And it helps keep me motivated to make increasingly higher and higher quality content. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, thank you for listening. I'll catch you next Thursday, 8 a.m. Pacific Time.